Suddenly somebody will say like plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. No explanation, no point. Look at one. It's all part of the cosmic Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and I have a very special guest joining me for a very special movie, one of my favorites, from one of my uh, top two favorite directors of all time, so I'm very much looking forward to this episode, but before I introduce my my guest, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms please follow us on social media twitter and instagram same handle at cult film comp c-u-l-t-f-i-l-m-c-o-m-p we are also a proud member of the blind knowledge collective it's a creative website that hosts video casts and podcasts from around the world that cover interesting and unique topics presented in a very entertaining fashion so please check out all the fine creators today at blindknowledge.com www.blindknowledge.com the cult film companion podcast is also a featured podcast on newsly newsly is an audio app for ios and android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service, courtesy of us. But with all that hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way, Flicksters, I am very excited to welcome Dr. Sean Travers to the Cult Film Companion Podcast all the way across the pond in Ireland. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a fan. Uh, well, thank you. No, the pleasure is all mine. And before we get into our movie of the week, you have a book that's is now you said it's coming out on Amazon soon. Is it available anywhere at the moment, or are we still eagerly awaiting its release? I'm still eagerly awaiting its release. It's going to be released on Amazon next month if everything goes well. Brilliant! And so go to Dr. Sean Travers's Twitter right now. Her pinned tweet she is at Sean, uh, so I'll spell it out, S-E-A-N-J-E-T-R-A-V-E-R-S, and you are, like me, a horror film fan, and you are also author of the upcoming Trauma in American Pop Culture and Cult Text from 1980 to 2020. 
20. Could you tell us a little bit, just give us a little preview of the book before it's, uh, we, we anticipate its release. Just give us a little taste of what, of what's to come. I'm sure. Um, my book looks at trauma in American popular culture across a range of media. So if you're into horror or science fiction or video games or movies, I come up with new paradigms through which we can read trauma in those texts. And I love, is this the final cover art that I'm looking at? It's it's brilliant. And I love the the purple on purple with little tinges of, of, of pink here. Is this going to be the final... Is this the final cover that I'm looking at? Yeah, that's the final cover. And the funny thing about it is it was originally, I typed in uh, that I wanted it to be purple and green and it gave me back purple on purple in the system. And I was like, okay, that, that works too. Um, <laughs> and I, I chose an eye because I thought it would catch people's eyes on the shelf. So it's it's just another horrifying pun for me in, in image form. Well, I, w- I would say that uh, just as they say the eyes are the, the gateway to the soul, that I would say that it's through our five senses, one of which being the eye, that we interpret trauma. It, oh, that's a, that's a good one. It has that metaphor too, doesn't it? That um, and it like represents the human being because we all have eyes in our psychology, and it's, eyes are one way of reading psychology. So I, I figured it, the human eye encapsulated all of these things. It, no, it really does. And as a, a as a psychology major and someone that worked in the mental health field, uh, I can tell you that you know you can tell so much from people's body language. Uh, lack of eye contact, too much eye contact, the the eyes moving to either the left or the right when your brain is either trying to come up with a lie or trying to actually you know finally remember a a memory so there's so much the eye uh perfectly encapsulates it and um i'm a fan of the purple on purple myself Uh, i'm a long time prince fan so uh kind of anything (laughs) anything purple is all good um so we could we could talk about this all day let's shift gears and talk about mr david lynch who in my opinion well my personal opinion and and those of you on the uh, who listen to the show my my all-time favorite movie, if I could only choose one movie, like a desert island movie, it would just be me and one movie on a continuous loop forever, is David Lynch's Blue Velvet. It's my mm-hmm. my favorite movie of ever. And eventually we'll, we will cover Blue Velvet on the show. But a little bit, um, I'm just curious, uh, something like a director like this that I consider to be such an auteur, such... A, a true artist of cinema. I'm always curious to people's introduction to Mr. Lynch. Do you remember your the first time that you saw a David Lynch project? Mm, I my first David Lynch project was Twin Peaks, and I, I was around 21 when I watched it. Um, it's just this huge pop cultural landmark that. You have to see it. It's, I watched X-Files over the summer because it has this major impact on the pop cultural landscape. So that was my introduction to David Lynch. I heard so much about Twin Peaks. I've seen it referenced in current uh, contemporary popular culture. It, it was something that I had to check out. And then once I watched it, I watched the, the entire series. I binged the whole thing. Uh, then I watched uh, this movie that we're talking about today, Firewalk With Me. And then I started gradually making my way through his filmography. I've got around two movies left to see. Uh, one of them is The Straight Story, so I haven't seen that one yet. But um, yeah, Twin Peaks was my, my first encounter with Lynch, and I think it's a, a pretty good one. It, um, uh, it incorporates all of um, 
his tropes, the what he uses, the the different genres that he dips into, I think it's a really good one to start with. If anyone's listening and hasn't uh, encountered anything by Lynch, I would recommend that you start with the original series. Uh, I I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I my only regret about um, Twin Peaks, and I talk I, I mentioned this briefly before we started recording is that I actually saw Firewalk with me before I saw a single episode of Twin Peaks. I, That's very interesting. I mean, what did you make of it? I mean, did, did it make sense? But then again, it, does it make a lot of sense once you've seen the series? Uh, like, was it a, like, what was your reaction to that? So here's the thing, and I told you that I was going to share the story. So um, this movie came out in, in 1992. Um, and I gotta, I'll, I'll do all the, the technical stuff about the various releases um, later on in the show. But is, so this probably showed up on home video 1993. So I was 12. And oh, wow. I remember going to my friend's house one day. And um, it was it must have been just after the weekend because they had a, a stack of videos that they had rented from the local video store, which ironically I would later go on to work at this video store. But it was um um it wasn't a major chain video store; it's just kind of like a, a mom and pop uh, video store. But they, they so they had this um, this deal where um, you you rent three movies, you get one for free. Um, and that, that was something that they ran over the weekend. And so we were looking at, so two of the movies <clears throat> were parents, uh, my friend's parents choices and two of the movies were for the kids and, um, being, you know, 12 and, um, you know, you know, puberty and hormones and all that stuff kind of starts in, um, any sort of R rated movie, uh, kind of was intriguing because it was taboo. It was not something that we were supposed to see that our parents, uh, we were both, uh, raised, uh, Catholic and we both went to Catholic school. So we were not, you know, our parents were pretty strict about the, the sort of media that we, we viewed, but he said that he, that he had snuck, um, he had stayed up late at night when his parents went to bed and then he had watched Twin Peaks and he said, so, like I was saying, any sort of um, kind of rated R movie was intriguing to us. And he said that he had watched the movie and that he had honestly fast-forwarded through a lot of it. But it was the scene, um, and anyone that's seen the movie knows the scene in the the bar behind the bar where um, Laura Palmer and Donna... Um, meet up with uh, Jacques and two of their suitors, and there's a lot of um, female nudity. <laughs> and like I said, as a 12-year-old who was kind of restricted in what they saw, that was intriguing to me because uh, we were just like, oh, my God. You know, it's it's kind of embarrassing now to be like, oh, my God, it's boobies kind of thing. But, you know, that was kind of what drew us in. But I remember watching the full... We didn't fast forward. We watched the full movie. And it confused... It, it, I was so confused. So mm-hmm. very confused. Because I just didn't get it. And having gone back and watching the series... Um, 
I, I, I kind of wish, I never wish that I was, uh, nobody ever wishes that they were older. Everyone wishes, well, I could go back to my 20s or something like that. I only wish that I could go back and be a part of the Twin Peaks phenomenon when it first came out and watching each episode unfold over a weekly basis. To me, I, I, I kind of miss that. And I know we get spoiled now with streaming services where it's, um, you know, you can binge a series and instead of having to wait each week, you know, Netflix will dump an entire season out there and you can watch it on a whim. But to me, something like Twin Peaks, it warrants discussion after each episode. Like, and it's similar to any of Lynch's work. It warrants such discussion. We were talking about this. Lynch is not one to ever talk about his craft. In interviews, when people ask him about the movie, or something about what he's trying to say, or this, that, and the other thing. His answers are very much kind of like, you know, my art speaks for itself. The film is talking, yeah, and elaborate on that, no. Yes, and um, it's open up to interpretation, and I, I, I don't think that he wants, he doesn't want to spoon feed us anything. He doesn't want to have to hold our hand and, and guide us through everything, whereas other directors, um, and I'm not going to name names, but some of them just love talking about their movies and how much, you know, like, it, and to me, sometimes it's a little egotistical, um, but I I think that because Lynch is dealing with such abstract uh, variants um, and tropes that a lot of his movies, the majority of them, are very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that you know I personally like to do is if I have a very interesting dream, I wake up in the morning and I, I you know, I'll try to write down the details and I'm trying to think because is is it my subconscious talking to me? And it's very much, um, it's so open to interpretation that. You know, trying to figure out, well, he's trying to say this with this character and this character is supposed to represent this. Um, You know, to me, Lynch is is just he's, he's making art for the sake of art. He's telling the stories that he wants to say. Some are more linear than others. Some are very, very abstract. Um, And. I mean, you haven't seen the straight story, but mm-hmm. we're, it's it's a G-rated David Lynch movie produced by Disney, and it's it's based on a true story. And the reason that I think that he calls it the straight story because, as opposed to all his other works, which kind of will bounce all over the place with different characters and you know sometimes the narratives are 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 told out of order and we're not sure what's real and what's imagined the straight story is just that it's a straight story there's there's no it's based on a true story uh, about a man that's going to reconcile with his uh, estranged brother and he doesn't have a car 
So he's driving his ride-on mower um, to visit his his brother, and it's it's just that there's no. I mean, you it's still got the touches of Lynch. You still know what it is, but as far as these weird abstract images or or sounds coming in, it's it's not that. It's a very straight story. It's very um, A to B, and we're not talking about A point two or anything like that. Um, now, do you think? that the way that you were introduced to Twin Peaks has any influence on your respect for this movie. Did you, what was, did you, so you said you were familiar with Twin Peaks. Did you know uh, exactly who, uh, and we're talking about a movie that was, um, it's a prequel to a TV series. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole TV series is, is, the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. And Mm -hmm. did you, did you know anything else going in initially to Twin Peaks? Um, When I was watching the series, I knew there was a movie that you needed to watch after that. And every time I watched an episode of Twin Peaks, like you said, it's one of those shows that just, you know, begs you to interpret it. So I would look up different interpretations online and, you know, think about that kind of culture that was around the kind of the cult uh, fandom and the way it encourages cult spectatorship. So uh, each time uh, I watch an episode, I go online and I see that uh, like a massive uh, different interpretations and a lot of contradicting interpretations. And one thing that jumped out at me is uh, maybe this was deliberate that, um, each Twin Peaks episode is like a toy box that they just throw at the viewer like for us to play around with in our minds once we've finished each episode. And then when I went into um, Fire Walk With Me, uh, what struck me about it was that it is a prequel to the series, but at the same time it's a time-warped sequel because they refer to events that happen apparently after the events of Fire Walk With Me because we see that reference to Annie, we see Dale Cooper, and this really chilling thought occurred to me what if dale cooper was always in twin peaks i mean we see him arriving there in the premiere of the original series but it suggests in in the prequel that he he's in the black lodge already that's something i wanted to open up on this because it's 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 something that it was always at the back of my mind that that's a really terrifying idea that he's he's there and he's not there and which one is the doppelganger are they one in the same because they do suggest that about the concept of the doppelganger that they're one and the same so you've got like it's kind of like the interpretations of the show it's like yeah we can interpret it this way but we can also interpret it that way and what if both of them are true what if it's a a real postmodernist attempt at representation what if what if all of these interpretations are valid a bit like um that other movie he did inland empire where we get like multiple different stories running at once but they all have that running theme of the the phantom no, that's you just said something absolutely that just struck me um that yes the the whole ideal of the doppelganger um which really gets um a lot of attention in in the the most recent series of uh, season 3 the 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 showtime series um but yeah you know what i never i never really thought about that because the fact that, and like you said, the first in, the first 
episode of Twin Peaks introduces us to Kyle MacLachlan's character, Agent Dale Cooper. Mm-hmm. And it's seemingly supposed to be his first time in Twin Peaks. But like you said, in Fire Walk With Me, um, the whole the set of events is set off actually by um, uh, the murder of another girl uh, a couple years before mm-hmm. the events of the TV series. And we have um, two FBI agents portrayed by Chris Isaac and Keith Sutherland that are investigating. But then Dale Cooper shows up to investigate the disappearance of the FBI agent. So, you know, I never thought about this because, yes, the I, and if those of you who have seen the, the third season of, of Twin Peaks, it very much deals with doppelgangers. We've got actually... Um, at least three versions of Dale Cooper, and it, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting to me. They always say that, um, you know, we we see this sometimes celebrity lookalikes. Everyone's supposed to have this this. There's like your twin is somewhere out in the world. Your doppelganger is somewhere out in the world, and um, mm-hmm. it, it, it you know it's fascinating to me because I never thought about that. The fact that you know, you know, and it's. Kyle MacLachlan was initially reluctant to come on to Firewalk with me. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, so basically this is what happened. Um, Season two, which I actually happen to be a fan of, but it's, it doesn't hold a candle to season one, nor to the madness of season three kind of, um, it was a dip in quality. It was also, I think it was plagued by the fact that if you look at the, um, I don't have the exact number of episodes, but season two, I believe has the long, has the most episodes out of this, the series. And season one was such a phenomenon that obviously, you know, the, t- the powers that be the TV company, they, they wanted more episodes. Cause I, I, I want to say that it's, probably a dozen or less of, of season one. Uh, I, and then season two kind of, I think they, they doubled the amount of episodes they wanted, which put a huge strain on David Lynch and Mark Frost, who were the creators of twin peaks. And, you know, the, their, their involvement, um, with the show, um, wasn't as intense as it was with season one and they yeah Lynch left like halfway through season two right up and like up to the point where the killer is revealed Lynch leaves maybe two episodes after that and then comes back for the final two exactly and I know that the fact that and it will just you know it uh, Laura Palmer was killed by her father that we're, we're doing a spoiler episode here um I know that was a huge um, issue of disagreement with the creative team. Um, the whole this whole TV series is based on a mystery, and it's very much. I'm not a fan of soap operas, but David Lynch himself has kind of described Twin Peaks as a, as a, as a surreal soap opera, and I I love the fact that we live in a world where David Lynch was able to do his own soap opera. Uh, mm-hmm. How many how many creative auteur directors get to say that? 
Uh, so or even get away with it. I mean, so many like Netflix series have attempted this kind of art house surreal approach and they get cancelled. I always say that Lynch is one of the few that can get away with it because he, he made it his brand. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, we're, we're talking about a major, I, I want to say it was CBS. So we're talking about one of the, the, you know, this was before streaming services were all the rage and, you know, basic cable and premium cable. But, you know, if you just had the old antenna, the old um, rabbit ears on your TV, you only got four or five channels. Uh, so like, tw- like you said, Twin Peaks is on a major network. It's extraordinarily surreal surreal and it's truly unlike anything else that was on tv at the time but season two really took a dip in quality um uh, like i said of the three seasons it's certainly not my favorite um to me season one is is just a masterpiece of (laughs) of, of of television um and revealing the killer halfway through season two it's it's almost like well and i could see the frustration if i was part of like the if i was in the in the writing room it's like well where do we go from here you know like we we kind of um we 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 took our 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 biggest mystery and we solved it halfway through the second season like what else is there to do um, i would have ended it there and then gone on to season 3 or i would have put in the last two uh, um black lodge episodes after the reveal and, and skipped the filler between those because by making leland uh, the killer like laura's father and bringing in themes like childhood abuse intrafamilial abuse incest that makes the whole experimental art house approach take on this huge meaning because it's it's about trauma and for for years and especially around the time twin peaks was re- uh, produced trauma was considered as something that cannot be represented on screen so you have to approach it in this experimental way it's an idea stemming from holocaust studies that we can't really approach these directly and we have to represent uh, the traumatized mind as it is and that will be like remembering things and flashbacks and nightmares and not getting the full picture not telling it in a linear straightforward way so i think choosing leland as the killer was a good idea in in the way that Twin Peaks was uh, approached, that it was a non-linear story. But I would have either left the reveal until later or just had the reveal and then done the, the two, the Black Lodge uh, two-parter season finale and then went on to season three because season three really does explode what um, the first two seasons were trying to accomplish. And then it loops back at the very end of season three to that theme of a childhood abuse again. No, absolutely. Like, like you said, it's almost like if we could go back in time and, and, and well, what the, you know, you could edit your own kind of version mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks, which, um, as opposed to some other directors, if they said that you're going to make your own edit of their movie, they would pull their hair out and slam their head against the wall. I, I think someone like Lynch, who is truly an artist, would 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 open you with open arms and say that that's exactly kind of what I want you to do. Like interpret my art the way that you want. And as long as you're not like, you know, taking credit for the genius that is Lynch, um, mm-hmm. it's, I, I, you know, you can make your own little fan edit and sh- share it with friends. But yeah, um, you made such an interesting point that yes, we're dealing with extremely 
heavy issues here. Um, and it's it's not funny, but the first two seasons of, of Twin Peaks do have a lot of humor in it. And that, mm-hmm. that humor really isn't carried on in Fire Walk With Me at all. That kind of... Because um, there's such unique characters that inhabit mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. The Log Lady... Um, just, just to, there's just so many different people that, um, you know, the people that work at the diner and, um, the gas station owner and, you know, Bobby and, you know, just, there's so many different characters that I think that, um, you know, the, the humor was something that I, I wasn't. I was kind of shocked at, like I said, because I saw Fire Walk With Me before I saw the series. So mm. I was expecting something very dark and kind of depressing and um, just bizarre. And, the, you know, and what I got was a, a lot of humor, you know, some episodes more so than others. But there's a lot of humor in there. And I, I, I don't know if it was actually just a conscious effort for them and I wonder you know I'm thinking now about the point that you just made that they're dealing with such heavy issues that being unrestrained um, to do a movie prequel like you said time warp sequel which I think is just genius because yes I'm just thinking of the final scene of fire walk with me with agent Cooper comforting Laura Palmer Um, everything comes it, it, it basically came full circle but I'm just thinking that being unrestrained by you know being on network television there's I'm you know there's censors are saying there's certain things that you can and cannot do with with this TV show mm-hmm. um, you know but the the brilliance of Lynch and Mark Frost was that they were able to kind of circumvent uh, like you said by using such abstract visuals um, and abstract ideas to to tackle these these very heavy issues of like you said of you know um, of of kind of, you know of despicable people and what makes them do the things that they do especially to the ones that they say that they love that with the movie they 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 could take the gloves off and we're doing bare we're doing bare knuckle boxing here we're do, we're able to kind of really dig in deep to the real dark underbelly here. And, um, you know, like I said, what initially drawn me to, to, to fire walk with me was the, um, you know, to see some nudity and upon rewatch now as an adult, and I've watched this movie so many times. Um, I still love that scene, but what I love about that scene in the bar behind the bar that I like to call it is that song. The song, the unrelenting groove, and and to me that kind of is just so. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's so perfect. Hypnotic. Yes, it is. It's such a hypnotic song, and it's it's not doesn't have like a pop hook, but it's just so unrelenting. Which is like kind of the idea of a David Lynch movie is that. Even with the humor spattered in here and there, it's unrelenting and it's so hypnotic. 
um, and it's it, it just draws you in and it creates this atmosphere that you kind of want to be in a dark room and just like the only thing is the screen and you're just drawn into these visuals but um yeah you know so what happened was that season two had a huge dip in the ratings um cast members were getting frustrated production members were getting frustrated and so the show was canceled and david lynch and one of the producers had a planned film trilogy and they actually secured 75 million dollars for this planned film trilogy from a french production company and announced just a month after the series cancellation that they were going to do this trilogy. Now, unfortunately, what happened was this movie did not do well, and the rest of the trilogy was scrapped. Now, well, I was thinking about the humor, is that was one of the main reasons why it didn't do well. They were expecting the wholesome. Twin Peaks at the film festival and then they got something completely different from what they were used to. If you're a longtime fan of the Twin Peaks series, you, you're expecting a movie that will be in keeping with the tone of the original, but it changed. And I think that is something, I think that is related to the revelation of childhood abuse in the series. How it, That shift in tone, once that kind of, the, the pretty veneer of Twin Peaks, that that universe was broken, you're left with something very dark and very different once that narrative of uh, wholesomeness is broken and I think Lynch cleverly attempted to do that with the film by um, switching the tone to something more in line with um, a horror noir and uh, yeah it was different um, to the fans but I think on reflection um, it fits it fits with uh, what he was originally trying to do um, the story of a detective um, who had these very positive views about the world and um, being broken by the revelation of uh, what's really going on the seedy underbelly of small town life I, you, brilliant what you just said yes you know and again this just goes back you know this this film debuted um at the Cannes film festival on may 16th 1992 and was actually nominated it was in competition for the palme de Mor. Palme d'Or, which is the highest prize of the um, of uh, the Cannes Film Festival, and some reports say that it was met with boos. <laughs> some reports say that it was met with applause. Um, Robert Engels, who who wrote the screenplay with Lynch uh, for Firewalk with Me, uh, denied. You know that there was just this huge uproar. I can more. I would more imagine the reaction to that movie would just be stunned silence. Yeah, I was that, thinking that too. <laughs> you know, because like you said, we're we're those of us. You know, and, and unfortunately, I wasn't there. But you know, the people that 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 you know, Twin Peaks to them was must see TV. Um, that were eagerly awaiting, like, you know, their favorite show got canceled, and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, they're doing a Twin Peaks movie. This is going to be phenomenal. And, um, you, they they show up to watch this movie. I, I can't imagine people booing, because it actually ends 
on a positive note. You know, the it's it's Agent Cooper finally comforting um, Laura Palmer, and there's actually an angel there, and it's kind of like, um, you know, it is kind of a happy ending, but the movie is an unrelentingly bleak, um, kind of just mass confusion especially if you've never seen the show i mean i i can't imagine like like i said my 12 year old brain was just like kind of blown by what i was watching because i you know i i didn't have the mental capacity to put together all the different pieces now uh, uh, that i am able to as an adult to, uh, is reflecting on firewalk with me um and it is quite in keeping with the rest of his work that idea of a attacked on fake happy ending i mean i don't know if you see the angel ending as canon but in something like blue velvet we get like an hour and a half of violence and then we get the a repetition of the opening scene with the fireman waving to the camera i mean that is very much saying to the viewer yeah we've seen something awful now we're going to tack on this um veneer over it and it's kind of like that whole seedy underbelly versus the the sunny side of twin peaks it's it's like covering up uh, the dark side of uh, like suburban life, of small town life. And then I think we, we see that in um, a lot of um, his work. Like uh, it's, it's more than Blue Velvet. We see it in uh, Inland Empire as well. We have multiple uh, narratives covering up each other. No, ab- no, absolutely. And I, I, I love the way you say, is it almost kind of like a reward at the end of, because he's like, well, I'm, go- I'm going to drag you through hell of some of the most, especially with Blue Velvet, I'm going to drag you in with some of the most, uh, repu- this Frank Booth is probably one of those repugnant horror villains of all time. This man, um, he's just plain evil. So he's like, I'm, I, I will drag you through hell for an hour and a half, but I will kind of give you this little glimpse of um, of hope at the end, and I think that's kind of like, like you said, suburban life. Um, I, I grew up in a, a in a, an upper middle class um, suburb, and but there is always as much as you have these manicured lawns and everyone seems to have a good job and everyone seems to be happily married and the kids and play sports and go to school and seem to be to be achieving there's always something dark underneath and that's just yeah like family violence like it is poking fun at the the practice of myth making isn't it like that is a very big tradition in both American fiction and American history that, you know, like the cover-up of genocide as a, a way of westward expansion and then the cover-up of uh, family abuses. Oh, no, it's a very sunny uh, place to be. Suburbia is lovely. We have the white picket fence, whereas actually what's going on inside the house it could be much darker. And we see that in Twin Peaks as well. When um, all of the... the it's, it's interesting, you have like the men in the town, like the symbols of the patriarchy, you have the detective, you have the policeman, you have a, a guy from the military, and they're all talking about what happened to Laura Palmer and whether it's easier or not to believe that it was a supernatural force um, rather than a kid's father doing the abuse and the murder of the child. It, you, perfectly put. You know, it's it's kind of like, well... No, nothing is perfect, and I think that the people that put up 
a facade of perfection that everything's okay are the ones that are more often than not are the ones kind of hiding something very dark, very disturbing. Um, something that I, I did not realize upon, until this most recent rewatch of Twin Peaks, and it only dawned on me uh, uh, after seeing the third season, is this whole idea of... It, there's the idea of the supernatural was always kind of there with Twin Peaks. It was um, what's real, what's not. Is this a drug, or is it just the effects of drugs? Um, but the in those of you that have seen season three, it's very much kind of a, a supernatural, almost alien-like vector over Twin Peaks that. Um, will suck people into the Black Lodge or will create a doppelganger there. And I never realized that the seeds for this were very much planted in Fire Walk With Me, especially the scenes in the trailer park. Um, Just looking at the, you know, scenes that I didn't... I was like, well, why do we have this guy staring at... Um, a power line, you know, like what's going on here and the, the zoom in and there's kind of like this ambient noise going on, this buzzing. Um, so it, it, like to me, fire walk with me just works perfectly. If you're going to watch season one, season two, fire walk with me and then season three, um, but I would also say that uh, for those of you who um, were privileged enough to see, not privileged, uh, lucky enough to see uh, the missing pieces, um, Lynch shot an extraordinarily large amount of, of, of film. There's actually 90 minutes of, um, of bonus material that's included. I, I am the proud owner of the Criterion edition of a uh, fire walk with me. And, um, Disc two is just devoted to the missing pieces, which are just scenes from Firewalk with me. Um, and we were talking about how it's it's almost insulting to David Lynch for us to try to interpret exactly what he's trying to say. We can only kind of theorize on it and um, discuss it. So I thought this would be a fun way, um, a fun segue. Now, I, I asked you prior to the show because I didn't want to spring this upon you. you mm. You've seen the missing pieces. Um, yeah. you, could you want to sum up some of, some of the, the scenes from the missing pieces for those of you who haven't seen it that are, that are missing from the final film? And um, I'll fill in a couple of my own, but I would like you to, if you don't mind, to, um, to kind of take us through the missing pieces. Um, yeah, I actually have a really bizarre theory about the missing pieces. Um, a lot of the missing, a lot of the content of the missing pieces focuses on the character Philip Jeffries, played by David Bowie. Yes. And um, something really striking about that is you get one of the biggest celebrities in the world, and you relegate him to the bonus content section of the DVD. That is that is very weird, and I think that parallels to the character of Laura Palmer in the original series, and um, as well, Far Walk with Me. Eventually, Laura Palmer, as per tradition, she's a female murder victim, and she's killed off and silenced. But throughout the series, she's always threatening to come back. 
And because like we hear her voice sometimes, we see premonitions of her, like the horse that she wanted when she was a kid, the horse that appears in the living room, that represents Laura. When Laura's about to be buried, her her coffin, the machinery operating the coffin, lowering it into the ground starts malfunctioning. It's like she doesn't want to be buried and silenced. Uh, and then she comes back in dreams and it's confirmed that dreams have um, the ability for characters to come from the supernatural world into the, the plane of the universes of Twin Peaks reality. So Laura, she's dead, but she's also not dead and she's always threatening to come back. And then because the prequel is also a sequel, Laura is fully resurrected. And she's trying to tell the story of what happened to her. She's trying to say, yes, my father abused and killed me. And that's something the show is simultaneously trying to explore and cover up at the same time. Then in The Missing Pieces, we have a character, we have Philip Jeffries, and he wants to talk about a very similar case to Laura, about a victim called Judy. And um, it's almost like he tries to talk about that, and the film tries to erase him the same way the series tries to erase Laura. So we still, like all of um, his scenes were deleted except one, and I think it's significant that Lynch chose to keep the scene of uh, Philip Jeffries walking in, saying something that at that moment in the film is nonsensical but when you go back later it makes a bit more sense and there's a couple of scenes where you see Philip Jeffries trying to claw his way back into the narrative and I, and I think the bonus uh, features of that DVD like the the missing pieces that is part of the film itself it's not your conventional like, deleted scenes I think you need to watch those to get the complete picture of the movie and I think Lynch is playing around with form there like he does with theme so um, that, that's how I view, that's my um, theory that I think that um, Jeffries is a character that's trying to talk about like violence in the family and is being erased by the movie and Laura's trying to do the same and she's being erased in the series. And then later on in season three, uh, Judy is revealed to be this force called Jowdy and she's possessing Laura's mom, Sarah Palmer. And it's almost like she's possessed by the knowledge of abuse and that's trying to claw its way out then back in the series as well. And eventually it does loop back to the theme of Laura's abuse because you do in the last episode, you go back to the house. So that, that's my very uh, weird and incoherent theory about uh, Philip Jeffries and the bonus content and the missing pieces. No, I love it because like I said, okay. I, I remember <laughs> watching the opening credits to Twin P uh, Fire Walk with you and I'm like, David Bowie, all right. Because, like, you know, at the time, I wasn't, he was probably one of the few names that I recognized coming up on the screen. And like you said, he's regulated to this very kind of, of all the scenes that could have been cut from David, Bo, uh, of David, Bo, because if you watch The Missing Pieces, there's there's quite, he was in a, uh, a much more um, longer and developed scenes. But he's kind of, yeah, yes, he's he, he has this one scene where he kind of, you know, he enters the FBI office, he and, you know, he disappears right in front of uh, David Lynch and Agent Dale Cooper's eyes. And the whole ideal of doppelgangers is that he points at, at, at Kyle MacLachlan and says, like, you know, who, like, who is, not... I'm not sure exactly the phrasing, but something to the extent of who is this or this is not who he appears it to be, um, who he appears to be. Hinting that that's the doppelganger. I really like that part. Yes, yes. And I, I think that you made such an interesting point. It's almost like, um, and this goes back to, to, to trauma, 
the memories that we try to repress and our brain will will try will as a way of de- defending us will repress them to a certain extent but they are still there there's no way um of completely erasing these memories um at some point in time they will resurface and i like your and then cooper yeah oh, sorry no i was just thinking cooper's such a wholesome character but the evil side of him that does uh, contribute to the cover-up of the murder and abuse of Laura Palmer. I think that is suggested by the evil doppelganger. And he, he does appear at one point, um, I think it's in the middle of season two, when uh, David Lynch's character is talking to the woman behind the counter. You can see that that similar look in um, in Kyle MacLachlan that he shows in the Black Lodge at the end of the season two. Yes, um, that that we all have these i mean despite how wholesome we might see none of us are 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 perfect we, you know our our mistakes and our faults are our own um they might not equal those of somebody else's but no one it, it, no one just walks on water in in this world there's something you know, either something that pushes our buttons or something that we've done that we we truly regret, but it's always there. It's always a part of us. Um, this kind of, um, and I think that's something that you know Lynch kind of works with. It's kind of like a shadow that follows us, um, mm-hmm. and this whole idea of um, dreams becoming a reality. Who is the dreamer, and what is the dream? Are we all just living in a dream? Um, and you know something like Twin Peaks and like you said Inland Empire, um, and and something like Lost Highway really are just so open. Mm, up, just thinking of that. Just so opened up to interpretation about um, because the ideas of uh, I, and I wonder that if they always had this idea of doppelgangers that doesn't really get explored until season three. Um, the 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 seeds are planted in Fire Walk with me. But I'm I'm just wondering that um, that if Lost Highway was kind of like a blueprint to play with this whole doppelganger mm-hmm. and the circular narrative as well, because it is suggested that like if Cooper was always in Twin Peaks, like he, he's arriving there, but he was also there beforehand. Like he, he's in this kind of inescapable loop, and that's representative of like family violence because like that's almost like an impossible issue to to confront, and then in Lost Highway, that's circular as well because he he hears the message but he receives it as well at the end of the movie. So like, where does that movie start and end? Y- yes. And that involves like family violence as well because he killed his wife or his partner. Right. Um, so I, I do see a lot of similar... Uh, of, uh, if I had to say that anything else that compares to, um, to Twin Peaks, I would say that Lost Highway is probably kind of a... Comp- almost not a, a companion piece like it's almost like i could see this happening um you know twin peaks is taking place up in the northwest that you know uh, in the same universe i i could see the events of lost highway happening you know down in california uh just because the like you said the ideas of um not being um you know they talk about the circle of violence um that you know um it's inescapable almost if you're a product of violence you're more than likely to create violence and if you're the creator of violence your offspring or the people that are close to you are more likely to be um 
involved in it or help you perpetrate this violence, it, like you said, is very circular. And it's very, very hard to break that cycle. And I think rep- repression and memories and lost memories and dreams are, su- are sometimes the way that we deal with these sorts of issues. And, you know, to me, just thinking back on the show, you know, Agent Cooper throughout season one and two and his actually relatively brief appearances in Fire Walk With Me, he, Kyle MacLachlan only shot for five days on Fire Walk With Me, which is kind of mm-hmm. mind-blowing. But, I mean, there's such... Um, there's such a, a a cast of characters that are, are involved that um, you know his his involvement doesn't really it doesn't hinge on him at all times. But like you said, he's he's this wholesome character, very optimistic, um, just a very likable guy who mm-hmm. you know doesn't want anything more than to solve this crime and to enjoy a, a cup of coffee and a piece of cherry pie. Um, and that, to me, are just like, if you think about it, what's, what are like some of the, the standard hallmarks of... Um, I know you're, you're from Ireland, but for, for in America, when I think of... Um, they say it's a, as American as apple pie, you know? Mm-hmm. That yeah. phrase is there. And, and as an adult, how do you start each day? You start it with a cup of coffee. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just, that's just the American way. Um, So, um, and and this actually leads me to as, uh, you know, I I don't want to get, what's the word? I just wanted to ask, as as someone that's not, um, uh, are you Irish born? I should have asked you that first. Uh, yeah, my family is Irish. My parents are Irish. I was born in the UK, and they moved me here when I was five. Oh, okay. Now, have you have you ever had the uh, pleasure or displeasure of visiting uh, these United States? Oh yeah, I've been to New York and uh, Florida, and yeah, loved it. Any time I went, I had a really good time. So I'm, and just... I'm fascinated by American culture, and you know, if if you grow up in Ireland or the UK, uh, American culture it's America is our biggest cultural influence. So, so as someone, and I, I don't want to label you as an outsider, but someone as a, <laughs> as just someone that's not a native to this country, looking in, does, does is what I just said? Does that ring true to you? Like the phrase I'm "as American as apple pie" and all that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. Um, did did you see any cultural disconnects? Anything anything that that you didn't kind of understand in Twin Peaks because it is kind of a slice of Americana. And in some of it, you know, some people would argue that um, some people wouldn't get it. Were there any any cultural things that kind of threw you a, a, a curveball, so to speak? Uh, there was nothing really that threw a curveball because when you're growing up in Ireland or the UK, you've got, like, all of your culture is from America and the UK. So you, you grow up watching American movies, Hollywood, Disney. You, you grow up surrounded by that. And then when you watch something like Twin Peaks, it's, it's like the very stereotypical American iconography that you've seen in your previous cultural experiences. It's like, oh, wow, this is really like an exaggeration of, of what America is. Wow, yeah, it is. It really is kind of an exaggeration of what America is. Um, so, yeah, 
and you, so Philip Jeffries, I think you, you made a very interesting parallel, um, it's to being Laura Palmer, gone but not forgotten, and trying to get back out of wherever he is in the Black Lodge. And I, as much as I don't like some of the second half of season two, the final episode of season two, which leaves us with basically a possessed Agent Dale Cooper Mm. leading into Fire Walk With Me, it, it, it was kind of... It was confusing to me because, you know, I, I was like, well, how does, you know, I never made the connection that you made that he was always in Twin Peaks. And I think that your your theory here has a, a lot of weight to it because he was there investigating um, Chris Isaac's disappearance. It's almost, it's almost reminiscent of... Um, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, where um, it's revealed that Jack Nicholson was always the caretaker. He's always been here. Um, and it's almost like, you know, you tried to repress this memory, but you were always here. You were the one that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anybody else that that killed their family. It was you. You were you were the one that was here. You've always been here. Um, and that is family violence as well. It's it's from what I see in TV and movies, pop culture, they're treating it like this unsolvable issue. And when you think about like possession, that's interesting and significant in terms of family violence because if somebody uh, perpetrates violence against their family, there's a lot of shifting of blame going around. And in works like Twin Peaks and David Lynch's uh, film work at large, you have a lot of people switching bodies, switching identities, doubling identities, even tripling identities when you look at uh, Twin Peaks season three. Mm. So it's like this displacement of blame. And that, that is um, a larger thing you see in American fiction. And um, even things like history, you see like displacement of blame onto someone else, onto the other. Like a lot of violence in American fiction is, um, it doesn't come from the nuclear family, but it's from the supernatural force beyond it or a criminal outsider of the underclass. It's something that is outside and beyond the family unit whereas in something like Twin Peaks yeah it plays around with that you have Leland is possessed by the external supernatural force Bob but in scenes of Bob's violence you have flashes of Leland intercut with him if Lynch were to fully to conform to that trope we would just see Bob um, killing Laura and her cousin Maddie but we don't we see both Leland and Bob killing him so it's like it wants to cover up the violence but also expose the source and how we cover it up? How do we, how do we face violence? Do we look away? Do we pretend it's something else because it's more comfortable? As uh, Cooper says, when they're they're inventing that narrative around Laura Palmer's death, and I think the reason it always loops back with Cooper is because he, he didn't handle the the death and abuse of Laura correctly. He, he made up more stories to cover it up, and we see that that idea of constructing narratives almost hysterically. Um, and the latter half of season two, it has its problems, but we have all of these insane, unrelated narratives like uh, the silent drapes. Uh, someone's getting amnesia. They think they're a teenager. There's an affair story. There's a pilot story. And then those like mini narratives keep piling up in um, 
in season three, it continues to do that, but to a more extreme rate. We have characters that we, we've never seen nor heard from introduced at the end of an episode for maybe five minutes, and then they're never mentioned again. It's like this continuous piling up of narratives, hiding the, the abuse narrative that we finally get to at the end of season three. We had like this wild proliferation of narratives throughout the season, throughout the, the return, and then we finally look back. We, we uncover we, we we get past all of these like crazy sci-fi origin of evil atomic bomb stories and then we get back to the source that Twin Peaks was always trying to hide but simultaneously explore at once. It's almost like there's two writers in Twin Peaks, one that wants to explore family violence and the other one that is trying to cover it up, the more conventional um, American pop culture writer that's trying to hide this and make it Hollywood, make put this glossy veneer over it. You just made some excellent points that I just want to... Um... Um, piggyback here um, to me the, the idea of the, the three um, aspects of people's personalities of their psyche is often the id, ego and super ego so there's there's kind of like three aspects of us always kind of in conflict with each other of, of what we're trying to do um, but I, I think that you just made an excellent point and I'm just thinking back about about the seasons with the writers, um, uh, you know, uh, one writer trying to expose, the other one trying to cover up. I, I think the problem that happened with, with season two is that Lynch just wasn't capable or interested in, mm -hmm. in really kind of being as hands-on as he was. So hence it was kind of left up to an array of writers and an array of directors where the soap opera aspects of Twin Peaks really, really show in season two. Like you said, we've got the, um, you know, bringing back Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer's cousin, just dyeing her hair a different color. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the character that thinks she's a cheerleader and all of a sudden is is, is horny for high school students. Uh, it just becomes a little too um, soap opera-ish. Mm -hmm. And then in season, in the return, season three, you know, Lynch, what, this was, this is all Lynch. This is kind of um, an unrestrained David Lynch, basically Showtime saying, you know, here's some money. These are the amount of episodes we would like. And he, um, you know, because, you know, he, he came back in full force and really took the reins back to to what he was trying to do with Twin Peaks all along. And in an interview I saw that he said that, you know, the reason that he did Fire Walk With Me is that he couldn't leave Twin Peaks, which I think mm -hmm. leads a lot of credence to what you said about Agent Cooper always being in Twin Peaks. I think that he created this town, he created these characters, and he basically, he, you know, he said that he felt, just fell in love with the character of Laura Palmer, and he fell in love with these, these, these different characters that he had created, and he couldn't leave Twin Peaks. And, and hence, when the series was canceled, he kind of jumped at the opportunity to do Fire Walk with me, and... I think it, it might have been a blow to his ego. Again, I don't want to uh, theorize about the psyche of David Lynch, but I could I could see him being very optimistic and very excited about getting to wrap up this story in a trilogy of films and instead being kind of uh, 
cut off at the knees with only being able to do fire walk with me and I, I I kind of wish that we we at least got some background to what the other two movies were supposed to do I I I'm thinking that the closest we'll ever get is the missing pieces and, and mm-hmm. I, like you said um, exploring the character of Philip Jeffries we also get to spend a lot more time with um, Chris Isaac's character and Keith Sutherland's character Um because it was interesting, there is no, in the actual film, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, who's kind of like the, the FBI's technical technical agent um, who's um, working the case uh, of Teresa Banks, never has any interaction with, uh, with Agent Cooper. But in The Missing Pieces, there is a scene of them together. And again, we have a scene of... Um, Chris Isaac kind of versus this the ornery sheriff, um, the guy that's kind of uh, got his head up his ass, the sheriff that he has a conflict with in the movie, and we get to see the two of them duke it out. So I, I just wonder if he was going to kind of explore more of the backstory. I like the the idea that that is like the inverse of Twin Peaks, where where the coffee is terrible. We've got a guy that's the opposite to Cooper, but the idea of them meeting, um, I'm, I'm not sure if it blows up that theory or confirms it. I mean, is that another doppelganger of Cooper's? Because there are multiple versions of him. Right, and and we get to see it in, in season three. So I think after Fire Walk with Me, uh, kind of, I mean, it, it was um, produced on a budget of ten million. And uh, it only did four point two million at the box office, and uh, the, the speaking of North America only, but um, and it did so so on home video, but it was just it's it's something that I come across here on the show quite often, is that it's gone on to be re uh, of critical reappraisal and critical reappreciation, and people are going back, and I think especially with um, you know. The return that happened a couple years ago, that um, people kind of rediscovered this movie, and it's 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 now seen in the light that I I think it deserves to be seen in because it is a very brilliant little um, psychological horror movie. But I have a question for you: if out of if you all of a sudden or it just like you you showed up at someone's house you had no um prior knowledge of Twin Peaks no prior knowledge of David Lynch and someone showed you Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me would this what do you think that this person's reaction might be I think they would consider it an art house horror movie where yeah. you're not meant to understand everything Obviously, if you go back and watch the series, you understand a little bit more, but there is a lot of interpretation to be done. But um, I, I was actually going to ask if you would consider it a horror movie, because I would, and I think what makes Twin Peaks, the horror in Twin Peaks, even scarier is that it didn't start as a horror. When something starts as a horror, you, you almost feel this uh, sense of security. It's like, oh yeah, I know what they're going to do with the tropes. I'm, I feel safe here. I know what this is. Whereas if something starts as a soap opera and then becomes a horror, it, like it, it's a lot scarier because you're not in a place... A familiar place. I mean, and it, like if the director plays with genre, that's it's almost like causing an ontological crisis in the viewer. No, I I'm with you. I definitely would consider it a horror movie, and because I think that 
a true horror movie works on your psyche and it works on certain people's fears and it works on certain people's insecurities and in this case w- would work on s- someone's trauma um i i think that it is terrifying to imagine what this father did to his daughter what mm-hmm. um what possessed him to do this this thing and i think that a lot of people I think that there's and there's been a lot of phrases thrown around with art house horror or enlightened horror or heightened horror, um, but I, you know, teenage me would say no, this isn't a horror movie because teenage me considered a horror movie to be something with Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, <laughs> Michael Myers, and there's got to be a lot of people getting stabbed, and there's got to be a high body count, and now, I think. I, I, that kind of stuff, it, it it can be entertaining in small doses, but to me that's not terrifying. That's mm-hmm. that's not something that's going to keep me up at night. The thought that a father could kill his own daughter, wrap her in plastic, and dump her on the side of a, of of the the water is is horrific. That's that's mm-hmm. terrible. That's like the worst thing that could possibly happen. So absolutely, it's a horror movie. Um, I think a lot of Lynch's movies could just be seen as horrific and um, terrifying. And, of course, if you ask him, he's not one that likes to label his movies. And um, that's fine. I mean, as long as he keeps putting out material, I'm happy. Um, I think it's very interesting. Kyle MacLachlan once said that um, something to the long... I'm I'm paraphrasing here. Something along the lines of... um, I'm not going to pretend to understand half of what David does. I, I just, I just do it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and we're talking, but you know, and this is from a longtime collaborator, you know, uh, he, Kyle McLaughlin got his start with, with Dune with David Lynch. And, um, so to me, you know, it is a horror movie it will it will haunt with you will will haunt you and it will stay with you and i think that's what a good horror movie should do you know um things that's scare- well, even unrecognizable horror that's not immediately apparent that it's a horror until maybe a couple of hours after you've watched it is kind of scary in itself uh, the, the found footage or a documentary movie like mungo does that it's it's an incredible feat to pull off that you can make a movie that's not scary when you're watching it but it's scary when you've finished watching it right um i'm thinking of something um that i saw um have you seen the lighthouse i would say that's a a horror movie that you don't realize is a horror movie until the end um yeah i quite like that i think it's 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 chilling and I, i imagine it's really difficult to pull off oh yes because um here's the thing with horror fans and i i've stopped doing this but i would argue with horror fans over um, a lot of times with the remakes and stuff, they say they want something different out of a remake or a sequel, and then when they get something different, they complain about it. And then when they get something that's a cookie cutter of of stuff that we've seen before, they complain that it's not different enough. It's almost like they're the most fickle fans in the world. There's just no pleasing them. Like you can't, you can't win with them. You know, they either it happens across all fandoms. You you. 
it's a very difficult one to uh, pull off. I think Suspiria does a good job, the Suspiria remake, if you've seen that. I have, actually. Uh, it's funny you should mention that. I, I have um, our our double feature of Suspiria, both the, the original and the remake, um, coming up. And I, I was... I absolutely was blown away by the remake. I would actually, I, I, I don't say remake, but it's very much an homage and it's a very much a reimagining um, because they take they take the very foundation and they built their own house on top of it. And um, I, yes, and that, so that's what I love about Lynch is that he never, he never delivers you the same thing over and over again. And some people mm-hmm. like, you know, some people like that. There's, I mean, we see horror franchises that will uh, regurgitate the same material over and over again. I don't. I've lost count of how many Saw movies there are, and um, just binged them recently. Yes. And um, I and I've lost count of how many Children of the Corn movies, and I'm glad that they're. I I'm fingers crossed, optimistic about this new Hellraiser movie. You know, I lost count uh, just because there's such a dip in quality, and you don't see that with with Lynch the dip in, I mean like I you know season one to me is, is, is like a perfect season of TV season two kind of af- after the reveal of the killer um, up until like you said those final two episodes which when when Lynch came back um, yeah. and then fire walk with me you know there's no dips in quality and then I love that he got this, this, I guess, I can only imagine it's a fever or a hunger, this itch that he could not scratch, that he needed to return to Twin Peaks, and we got the return. And um, in- Everything was the opposite, like, like you saw in Fire Walk With Me. The, it was almost like the evil doppelganger of Twin Peaks. That is, yes, because um, we get the three, the three Dale Coopers, you know, um, uh, the the evil Dale Cooper, the genuine Dale Cooper, and then um, this bizarre, bizarre. <laughs> I can only Im- oh, yeah. just a bizarre kind of middle ground version that's almost um, just the vessel of Dale Cooper. It's yeah, just emptied of personality, devoid of personality, and devoid of kind a true of- neutral. Yeah common sense it's almost like a baby just kind of growing up and discovering the world it needs to be pushed in the right direction it needs the car door to be opened for him you know um but somehow he puts the pieces of the the puzzle together um i would like to start wrapping this up by asking you what are some of um your your favorite scenes and or characters just from Fire Walk With Me. Let's just kind of exclude the TV series for now. Um, I like the murder scene because you get Leland and Bob coming in from each side of the frame. It really shows the duality of uh, that person and their perpetration of trauma. Uh, I like how David Bowie's character comes back in that scene through the monkey because the monkey says Judy. Uh, I also like um, the scene where David Bowie walks into the office and they say he was here, but he also wasn't here. So it was that contradiction and duality was there as well. Uh, I like the idea um, that you see the duality as well when um, Laura confronts Leland and tells her to stay away, tells him to stay away from her. And he at once realizes and he's completely oblivious as to what she's talking about. I, I like those kind of contradicting scenes. And in the Philip Jeffrey scene as well, 
you get that kind of supernatural veneer that almost tries to cover up what he's saying and trying to communicate with the, the other characters in the scene and the viewer. Uh, the convenience store scene where it's just a bunch of supernatural characters hanging out in a dilapidated room. Uh, I think they're my favorite scenes in the movie. What did you think about the recasting of uh, Donna? Another doppelganger, or else the actress just couldn't show up. But um, even if that was the real life uh, inconvenience, uh, I think it works. It does. I think I think the actress pulled it off well, and she had big shoes to fill. Um, um, like I missed the original Donna. I thought she was a, like a very good, strong character, and kind of um, like the opposite to Laura Palmer. I mean, she was alive. She was level-headed. Uh, she was kind of like another detective uh, character in the show. Whereas this this version of Donna, she was very quiet and submissive compared to Laura. Almost the 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 adjective mousy, mousy kind of girl. Yeah. yeah. Very, very innocent. Uh, I know Laura Flynn Boyle um, was either unavailable or uninterested in coming back, um, which is why she had to be recast. Um, yeah, she was uncomfortable with a lot of the, the bar scenes that you were mentioning. Right. And um, the the actress that ended up taking her part was a, a devout Christian, I believe. And she actually had to go. Uh, she actually consulted her pastor before wow. felt for, before doing the bar scenes and... Um, uh, she kind of got the go-ahead because you know it's an artistic thing. She's not just you know flaunting it for for penthouse or anything. Um, I do miss. Do you, is there any characters from the TV show that you, that you wish had shown up in the movie? Um, any of the the more whimsical characters would have been good because you, you do you do miss that kind of you have a nostalgia for, for the series and you're like oh I miss the the original feeling of the show but it's completely understandable why they would go for that darker version because you know once once something as heavy as child abuse is there revealed you, you can never really go back to what it was right and um, I was gonna say that I I, I missed Sherilyn Fenn um, in yeah. the movie but. I, I I think why I Dale Cooper. I mean, I know he was in it, but um, he was my favorite character from the original series, and I was hoping he'd have a larger role. Right. Um, and we discussed that. You know, Kyle MacLachlan was was uh, afraid of being typecast, so he kind of you know he talked to Lynch and Lynch said, "Okay, you know." And the fact that it's um, it's a prequel, it almost doesn't make sense for Dale Cooper to be there. And I think that it works. It works for me for Sherilyn Fenn not to be in the in in the movie because I think the best part of of her character in the TV show is her relationship with with Dale Cooper, with Agent Cooper. Yeah. So the fact that he's not really prevalent in this in this this um, prequel, and the fact that we're putting all the attention onto um, Laura Palmer. Um, Cheryl Lee, who I, I think is an underrated actress, I think she was very, very good, especially in this role. I mean, totally. uh, just wow. And um, so, you know, it's okay. I, I, I can see her absence being okay because it's it's not her story. It's not really even Dale Cooper's story. It's Laura. Laura Palmer finally gets to tell her story, and oh. I know that Cheryl Lee was cast uh, solely on this iconic. Um, prom queen homecoming queen picture the one that's that's all over twin peaks now you know we all if you were a fan of the show fan of the movie you know the iconic picture that i'm talking about and yes very creepy it is 
it is in the fact that she's, you know, we're intro- the fact that we're introduced to the character that is the basis for this TV show and that she's dead. I mean, that's just <laughs> a no who else but Lynch would introduce you to a character, you know, would would do something like that. And I know that Lynch kind of felt bad that, you know, he didn't give her more screen time and the, and hence the cousin role um, was um, included in the TV show. And then she basically, it's, it's, Fire Walk With Me is just a, a showcase for her, for her character and her acting ability. And, and we, we, we talked about this is that, you know, people were expecting more of this soap opera-ish kind of almost goofy, um, humor that was, you know, just throughout the series and we what you get in the movie is very dark very almost depressing and grinding and will um at times confuse you um if you don't want to put in the 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 headroom um but that's exactly what lynch wanted to do and um you know this is very much his baby and uh mark frost basically had nothing to do with this movie he went on to do um you know, he wanted to direct, he had directed a couple episodes of the series, but he actually got a chance, um, to direct his own movie, Storyville, which I'm eventually going to cover on the show, starring James Spader, so he had basically no involvement in Twin Peaks, and, um, Lynch brought in Robert Engels, who had, um, written TV before, and had written and directed a couple episodes of the TV series, and I have a very interesting quote here about, about, um, what what he said about Twin Peaks, and I will read it here verbatim. Quote, It's an about an electric bubble from a computer that bursts over this town and changes people's personalities, like these five cattlemen who suddenly think they're Chinese gymnasts. It's insane. And... Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's... It, it does. It's, it's kind of... And, the fact that we live in a world now and you and I are talking in hindsight about a TV series and film that has spanned decades, decades is just amazing to me. And I, I love the fact that we live in a world where we have so much Twin Peaks and mm. um, we'll, we'll wrap this up by I'm going to ask you a question, um, two questions to wrap things up. Um, number one, what would you like, if there is a season four, what would you like out of a season four? Or you could just take my standard answer and be like, I'll take whatever I can get. Okay, so I will take whatever I can get, but what I would like to see is kind of a meta season where um, Cooper and Laura enter the viewer's world because at the end of season three, it's suggested that they've... uh, traversed uh, dimensions and the real person who lives in Laura Palmer's house answers the door. So I'd like to see something meta. Which actually, um, now that you bring that up, what do you make of the ending of season three? I I really like it. Um, I think um, I'm glad that they didn't go back and solve uh, something as heavy as child abuse as in like in a quick kind of happy go lucky montage scene. uh, I think that it ended on Laura Palmer's screen that it reminded us that yeah this is a a lifelong issue that can't really be cured in the space of an episode 
I thought it I thought it was a very smart way to end the series and really poignant. Now, would would you be do you think that to properly wrap up Twin Peaks, do we need a season 4 or do we need another Firewalk with me and by that I mean another feature film? Like I think the ending of season 3 is pretty much perfect, but um curiosity in me would like to see more just for the entertainment factor but uh, thematically it ended it ended properly for me any characters that didn't appear in season three that you would like to see return in season four oh, i'm trying to think um were there any people in it that i uh, didn't come back and uh, who didn't who didn't come back i'm not sure <laughs> I, was just, I was just riffing here i'm just trying to think there's so much to process unfortunately i mean there's there's just so much Twin Peaks to, to take in. Um, I would like to see more of the characters that cameoed. Okay. Because some of them were only there for a very short amount of time. Like, I would love to see more of the Blue Rose investigations. That that should be a show in itself. I mean, watching season three is almost like gathering sand. I mean, one minute you're looking at an abstract image, the next minute you're narratively engaging with something like the Blue Rose investigations and what we're hanging on David Lynch's characters every word suddenly and that Lynch can go back and forward and directing between art house and narrative cinema really is genius that he can capture our attention and then push it away like that and then recapture it again. Right. Um, yeah, I... I, I just dawned on me like the blue rose scene in in fire walk with me is just genius the way that these messages are conveyed um you know those you know she's got the sour look on her face and she's clenching her fist and she's got the blue rose and yeah i would love so unsettling it is it's so and and again that's that's kind of what leads me to you know to consider it a horror movie is like it should stuff like that should leave you unsettled a real horror movie that you know terrifies you should leave you unsettled but i i'm i'm on board with you i would love a blue rose investigations tv show um uh the only thing that i unfortunately that i'm that's that's missing is that we lost two people that i think they're are integral to the blue rose investigations we've lost david bowie as philip jeffries and then um, I don't remember his character's name, but Miguel Ferreira, who was um, kind of like the number. Is that Albert Rosenfield? Yes, yes. Okay. Unfortunately, he has passed away too. And um, Albert is a great character. Um, I would, he is. His, his, he is the perfect straight man to Cooper's um, boyish, like over ambitious, overly optimistic. Um, Boy Scout and um, David Lynch as the most deaf person I've ever seen who <laughs> talks way too loud. Um, so I'm just going to ask, and this is a question I ask everyone about, um, and it, let's just try to put aside the TV series once again. I know it, it's so hard when talking Twin Peaks to to kind of differentiate, you know. It is. They're so inextricably bound up with one another. So, um, but just the film on a whole, why do you think that it has um, gained such a cult status and maintained such a cult status? Um, the obvious answer being because of the TV show, but just mm. as, as on the strength of the film alone, if, if we can try to vis- visualize it in, in a vacuum, just as its own little entity, what about the film um, 
to you um, constitutes it to be, you know, such a, a, a cult classic? Uh, there's a number of ways that um, a cult text can be defined, and I think it ticks a lot of the boxes. I mean, uh, it shares a lot with uh, the high cultural avant-garde cinema, like experimental formal techniques and ambiguous generic identity, as well as resistance to closure. And um, the term cult is usually understood through audience involvement. So all of the mysteries and the unexplained phenomena in the movie itself, uh, like putting aside the, the TV series, that encourages uh, cult spectatorship. It encourages to look up theories online, discuss it with um, people, other people who watched it. And they also have, um, like it includes expressing opinion, speculation, gossip and predictions as well. So that encourages cult spectatorship. And also uh, difficult topics like uh, murder and incest um, promotes cult spectatorship, as well as this idea of a fascination with space. All of the times with cult texts, you'll have uh, unusual spaces. So in this movie, you have the Black Lodge and you have the convenience store as well. A lot, you, you would go online to try and figure out what that means, or at least think about what, like, try to analyze that space in your head, map it out. Like, like where does it exist? How do you get there? All those questions that promote cult spectatorship to me. No, Absolutely. Uh, and if you go onto YouTube and you uh, type into your search bar "Twin Peaks Explained," you're gonna come yeah. up with so many video essays. Um, to me, I like a mystery. I I I'm okay with ambiguous endings. I'm okay with everything not being wrapped up, you know, and and you know, put to bed, and th that's the end of that. I I like. I think I would like to live in the world of, of Twin Peaks. Um, maybe not forever, maybe just for a day. But, a holiday, uh, yeah. Yeah, a holiday in Twin Peaks would just be, would be nice. Um, but yeah, to me, the, the, the mystery uh, and the, the interpretations that, that these movies and this, this series allows to me is just, just an absolute work of, brilliance now who would you if for if were if there's any non-fans of um david lynch um who would you recommend this um this movie in this series to um like people who've never interacted with lynch's work before you well just you know certain like if if people are looking for um a mystery show or something like you know it this obviously oh, yeah. wouldn't fall into if you're looking for an action 24 style tv show um like uh, you know who would you recommend this to for you know for anyone that might be a non-fan that's on the fence about about this I'd recommend it to uh, any horror fan because what I've noticed about horror fans, um, especially the like the horror fandom on Twitter, is that they really appreciate aesthetics. And I think Twin Peaks, um, the Twin Peaks franchise, has this really rich aesthetic that you can admire and look at and analyze. And I think that really suits the horror fandom. Absolutely, um, well said. And before I let you go, one last question because this just dawned on me. What is your perf if you were recommending this to someone? What order, and we can throw in the missing pieces here. What order do you think is is the the best way to digest this, or do you think that it it doesn't matter? I'm, I'm oh, order of release always. Order, order of release. Okay, so um, 
Dr. Travers is recommending then season one, season two, Firewalk with Me, The Missing Pieces, and then The Return. Does that sound about yeah. right? Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, anything coming up on the? Are you working on another book? Anything that we can look forward to in the future? Uh, I'm trying to get an essay published at the moment on Hereditary, so hopefully people will see that. Soon. Oh, brilliant! A brilliant movie. I would. Lo- I would love to. Uh, very much love to, to read that. Um, anything that? Any final thoughts on Twin Peaks? Fire Walk with me, Doctor Travers. I'll let you have the last word. Just jump in and watch it. I don't think you'll regret it. And um, even if you don't enjoy it, you'll have seen something that you haven't seen before. It's not like anything else on TV um, during the time it was produced or anything that's been produced after it. I haven't found anything like it. Nope. She nailed it. That That's all I can say. And on that note, I've been Chris. This has been the Cult Film Companion. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Sean Travers, Please follow her on Twitter. All her information will be in the episode description. And when her book comes out, um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. So let's all support her. And um, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Great. That's the most important thing this show is all about, having fun and, and um, just discussing some movies um, that don't get, you know, don't get the attention that they deserve. So once again, this has been the Cold Film Companion Podcast, signing off, and we'll have some lots of good um, uh, horror movies and horror-adjacent movies coming up in this month of of October, and um, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me certainly fits right in there. So I wish you all a good night, and do yourself a favor, watch something different, watch something cult. You probably won't regret it, but like Dr. Travers said, at at the very least, you could say that you've, you've seen something that you've never seen before. Thank you.